Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Matthew. We are continuing our discussion of the United States money supply today. However, we are moving on from inside money, M0, M1, M2, M3, bank money. And we're now going to talk about central bank money, otherwise known as reserve money, otherwise known as base money or the monetary base. So much to say about base money, where to begin, where to begin. Uh, for those of you that have been following my work uh, since the second quarter of 2018, you probably know I have done a global monetary base index. I've tracked the uh, base money of the top 50 central banks in the world, which is something like 95% of global GDP and even the top six central banks of the world, as you can probably imagine, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the yuan, uh, the British pound sterling, and the Indian rupee. The top five, six uh, currencies in the world, they themselves make up 90% by value of the monetary base. So there are many different rabbit holes, many different avenues we can go down as far as talking about base money. But today, we're just going to look at base money for the United States. And I don't want to go too much through the history here. I don't want to talk about the economic implications even of base money. Uh, I just want to show you it. Remember, this channel is going to be a lot about the how and the what, perhaps even more than the why, although I will try to answer some why questions every now and then. Uh, this is base money. So... As I mentioned in the intro, we've already shown inside money. We've done the hard work, M0, M1, M2, M3, M4 in some countries' cases, uh, otherwise known as fiduciary media, bank money. These are claims denoted and denominated by a liability on the bank's balance sheet that we refer to as a deposit. Claims that trade like money fiduciary media, bank money. Now we're going to talk about the core of the monetary and financial system, the monetary base. The main thing you need to understand about the monetary base is it is analogous in today's fiat monopolized monetary system. The monetary base is analogous to gold and silver and even bronze alloys, copper, other base metals of the past. Okay, so if we look on this chart here, we see the Nixon shock. I've talked about this already in many videos. Most people that follow the gold market even casually know. Richard Nixon uh, took the United States off gold and really thus the world off gold. Uh, August 15th, 1971. This was the end of what was called the gold exchange standard or the Bretton Woods standard, which existed uh, from the end of World War II to 19. 71. And since then, a little over 50 years, for the first time in history, the entire world has been on a purely fiat standard, where gold, silver, any other monies of the past, and indeed, they were money, you know, from fairy tales and cartoons to children's board games, even a child knows that gold and silver is money. All of the monies of the past no longer have any statutory or uh, legal 
jurisdiction. There is no legislation, there is no statutory connection between a precious metal and a nation's fiat money supply today. Now, I hasten to say, of course, uh, there are some exceptions, exceptions to every rule. The euro, the euro actually still has some gold reserve requirements. So uh, European central banks and the ECB in total is required to hold a portion of gold backing the euro. And Europe has historically had a difficult time of inflation. Uh, notable would be the Weimar Republic in Germany uh, after World War I. And of course, another fact that central banks and central bankers like to ignore is that central banks hold between a fifth and a sixth of all of the gold in the world in their coffers still, still. So it's about 1.1 billion ounces or so of gold that is held in central banks to this day. And that number has increased, by the way, over the last 15 years since the global financial crisis. Um, and there's about 6.3, 6.4 billion ounces of gold that have been mined throughout humanity. So if you remember some of the legendary debates that Dr. Ron Paul would have as he was chairman of the House Financial Services Committee when Governor Ben Bernanke would come before him and say, gold is not money. Ron Paul would say, well, why do you hold gold? Ben Bernanke would say, it's tradition. Uh, we can see that there's some very interesting, <laughs> look more at what they do, not what they say. Very interesting facets about gold still in the monetary system, even though, even though there is really, other than a few exceptions like the euro, there is no legislative or statutory requirement for central banks around the world to hold gold. So when I show you base money, central bank money, uh, if you were a monetary scholar or geek watching this from the East, Eastern Hemisphere or in Asia, you would probably have heard of this as reserve money, central bank money. Uh, basically, the money that the central bank prints, that is the modern equivalent to gold and silver. And of course, it only has this equivalent because of the monopoly of the central bank. The central bank has monopoly license. Basically, in every country, there is a central bank, the monetary authority, the monetary issuer, the printer, issuer, minter of money. Um, in the United States' case, this has gone on for a little over 100 years. Uh, Federal Reserve was passed during the holidays of 1913, opened their doors in 1914. Have this chart showing here from 1918, January, all the way until uh, the end of 2022. So main point, understand that in our monopolized fiat world of the last 50 years, base money is the core of the system. We cannot go any deeper. It is the most irreducible form of money. And if you're paying attention, a keen eye would see the two uh, time series that I have up and running here on, uh, on our chart engine, cash inside banks, vault cash, and cash outside banks, we've actually seen before. Uh, vault cash, we talked about during our demand deposit series. Definitely do check that out if you want to learn a little bit more about how vault cash interacts with demand deposits. And cash outside banks, or M0, we've seen a lot, haven't we? We've talked about M0, M1, M2, M3. Now, here's one more point of clarification we need to make. As I said, we have finished the inside money or fiduciary media or bank money portion of the, 
of the money series here for the United States. Now we are moving on to central bank money or base money. M0 is in both. It is in both. So again, exceptions to every rule. M0 is both part of the public facing money, inside money. By the way, we say inside money because it's inside the banking system. So all those M's, M0, M1, M2, M3. This is uh, money that you and I can hold on a retail level or institutions can hold on that level. Uh, these are deposits in banks and also non-banks, money market funds, uh, hedge funds, uh, subsidiaries of banks even hold uh, repos, which are basically government securities that trade like cash, levered government securities. Um, they can trade even overnight like cash. Uh, so we've talked about all that. We've talked about the broad money supply in the United States. We've even reconstructed M1 and M3, both of which the Federal Reserve has uh, chosen to cease publishing. But now we're coming back to base money. So yes, this feature here in the black, cash, outside banks, M0, it is both part of public-facing money and it is part of the monetary base. Also, we can't get confused because M0, another thing that confuses a lot of people, and to be fair, if you lived in the UK or South Africa, you would very well be confused. Most of the world refers to M0 the way I'm referring it to it right here. Cash outside of bank vaults. Physical cash and coin, that is the physical pieces of paper, the physical coins that are outside of bank vaults, that's M0. The Bank of England, the Reserve Bank of South Africa, they refer to the monetary base, base money in its entirety as M0. And as I will show you, they are very different things. So to be clear, M0, physical cash outside of banks, is both inside the narrow, broad fiduciary media money supplies, M0, M1, M2, M3, the public facing money supplies, and it's also in what we call the outside money supplies. Outside meaning outside the banking system. And I'm showing you right here, it's quite a large portion, uh, relatively, when you're only looking at cash outside of banks and cash inside banks or vault cash. And notice, historically been an extremely small portion. For the whole series here, uh, I'm starting actually January 1947 is the first data that I have at the moment on vault cash. So I'm just putting all cash uh, as part of M0 as we go back to 1918. But of course, yes, a portion of vault cash is also in this black area before 1947. Regardless, you can see throughout the whole trend Vault cash is an extremely small portion of base money. Even today, we have M0 at 2.2 trillion. We've seen this many times in prior videos. Vault cash is only $89.5 billion. All right, so in the interest of keeping this intro video on outside money, base money, central bank money, uh, relatively short and succinct, let's go ahead and add the third main component of base money, which is the bank reserve. And I'm going to zoom in before the global financial crisis to uh, add some suspense uh, as I show you that. So I'm going to add on bank reserves right now. Hmm. Not very much. Not very much. What is the bank reserve? To keep it relatively simple, 
Remember, the central bank, as we say today, the lender of last resort. This is the full backstop of the financial system, the monopolized money authority, money creator. That means that for every central bank, you're going to have a variety of banks in each nation that are operating under the jurisdiction of that central bank. So think of the bank reserve portion of the monetary base as each bank's account with its respective central bank. That's basically what it means. So every bank has what is called a master account, a bank account with their respective central bank. Now, you'll notice that until 2008, it's not very large, is it? And this always was the case, by the way. Central banks, again, not to go throughout the whole history, uh, the Bank of England started uh, really the first modern central bank. The Swedish central bank was really the first central bank. Uh, the Bank of England in the late 1600s, early 1700s, really started to do what uh, we would call central banking activities. Although ideas of lender of last resort, uh, these type of things were not anywhere in the toolkit of, of uh, central banking at the time. Regardless, if you had an account with the bank, sure. What is it? It's a ledger entry. It's a, it's a ledger entry, a bank account that you as a bank would have with your central bank. But it was always in the minority. Okay, things like gold, things like physical banknotes, they were uh, far and away the largest instruments that a central bank would would work with. And again, here we have to provide some parallels between historical base money and modern base money. Historical base money, namely gold and silver. Modern base money, namely central bank money. Uh, where does each sit on a central bank's balance sheet? Or a bank's balance sheet, by the way. doesn't matter. Even to this day, remember, central banks hold gold. Modern banks, they don't really need to hold gold. Maybe some investment banks hold some gold. But commercial banks don't really hold gold. Uh, most of the gold, the monetary gold, if it's held by any official institution at all, it's going to be held by the central bank. Where does the gold sit on the modern central bank's balance sheet? It sits as an asset. So what are these portions here, which I mentioned are part of the central bank's balance sheet? Cash outside banks, cash inside banks, bank reserves. What are these? These are liabilities. These are claims, deposit claims, that other entities in the system have on the central bank. They are liabilities. We will get into this in future videos. Uh, the gold standard, silver standard. Um, a standard does not mean backing. It never has. Even though we had gold and silver standards all throughout history, all the way until here in 1971, there always has been gold or silver underpinning a nation, a society's, a civilization's monetary system, always. Even though that was the case, do not confuse a standard with backing. So am I saying that because this is all a liability, that the central bank holds, uh, add these three units up, you know, a little bit, $850 billion worth of gold on their balance sheet? No, not now, not ever. Not ever. Don't confuse that. We'll talk about the history for sure. But just like with the fiduciary system, just like with the bank system, 
the uh, narrow broad money system M0, M1, M2, M3, really more M1, M2, M3. Uh, a deposit is represented on which side of the bank's balance sheets? It's a liability. It's a liability for them to their depositors. They have to provide redemption in the case of uh, banks. They need to provide access to physical cash if account holders wish. Or in the case of banks and non-banks, they need to provide some sort of transferability or means of payment from their bank to another bank if an account holder wishes to switch their claims from one bank to the next. So hopefully you're starting to see this is the nature of a fiduciary system. It's also the nature of any payment system. Anytime a third party, i.e. a bank, gets involved, there's going to be assets and liabilities. And that works for the central bank as well. So this is the core. This is the core of the financial system. This is the monetary base. This is it. And before the global financial crisis in uh, autumn of 2008, it was about $850 billion of base money in the United States up until that point. Really quickly, let's show the percentage, the percentage of physical cash up until that point. Okay, so the blue dotted line here, this is the percentage of the total monetary base that is in physical cash, a physical banknote or a physical coin uh, that represents the physical tangible side, if you will, of the monetary base. And as you can see, other than the Great Depression of the 1930s, most of the time, physical cash has been 75, 80, even 90% of the monetary base. Huge portion, huge portion. And again, not to get too much into the history here, in this video, the Federal Reserve likes to uh, claim that this interwar period, the beginning, remember they opened their doors in 1914, they like to say this is kind of practice. Uh, ben Bernanke even admitted to Milton Friedman that the Federal Reserve caused, if not exacerbated, the Great Depression with their policies. We can get into that. Um, the Federal Reserve nonetheless likes to say this is just practice for them. They were sort of getting their feet wet, understanding how this was going. We can see that after Bretton Woods, after the world adopted a fully dollar standard where central banks could redeem gold if they wanted in dollars from the Federal Reserve, but central banks themselves around the world and certainly individuals, institutions, uh, they would be on a dollar standard as far as reserve type money would go worldwide, globally. From the Bretton Woods to the collapse of the Bretton Woods, even after the Bretton Woods uh, collapse, Nixon shock, we're at 80, 85, uh, even 95% physical cash as a component of the total monetary base. This all went haywire after the global financial crisis in 2008. And here's the suspense I was saving you for right now. Notice here, the bank reserve portion of the central bank's balance sheet, a liability for the central bank to its banking partners exploded. This was known as quantitative easing. In other words, printing money to bail out bad assets from the banking sector. We have QE1, QE2, QE3. 
to where we got to 2014, and the Federal Reserve's total balance sheet was 2.7 trillion plus 1.2 trillion M0, roughly 3.9 trillion, a couple, you know, 70 billion more for vault cash, uh, 3.94 trillion dollars of base money, where just here on the eve of the financial crisis, 850 billion. So we see here that clearly, you look at the physical cash component, it's just, if there was any semblance of a pattern of uh, understanding how the market would work, and of course there's not in a free market, but that's what they try to tell us, this is a science, so on and so forth. Any semblance of a pattern or the central bank knowing what it was doing, quote, normal banking, normal central banking, it's blown out of the water here after the global financial crisis. We went from 90.9% vault cash, thereabouts, 91% pre-global financial crisis, all the way down to 30% physical cash, 30% of the monetary base in May 2014. One thing to reiterate, this is the printing press, both physically all right, denoted by the wallet there, the black shaded portion of this chart, and also the vault cash, physically and digitally, or from a claim or from a ledger-based side of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, both physically and digitally, this is the printing press. You know, because people throw out these terms in the financial press, the financial media, uh, or even worse, you know, philosophers, money is something that we all agree on, uh, money is this collective good. Just throwing out a lot of terms. Even hawks, inflation hawks, saying that we do too much money printing. They don't actually just look at the figures and try to understand what's happening from that point. And that's what we're going to try to do on this channel. So this is the monetary base. The figures do matter. And the Federal Reserve certainly has created, in the United States and really around the world, the dollar has been the world's reserve currency. Many central banks hold dollars and dollar-denominated assets as part of their foreign exchange reserves, assets on their balance sheets, which are on the other side of their monetary liabilities, such as M0 and bank reserves. But what are the repercussions of that? That's what we're trying to get to. So just a couple more points now. I'm going to draw a red line which is gonna show the total monetary base again. Again, this is a stacked chart, so we've added up the total. It's definitely huge monetary expansion of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet since the global financial crisis. Let's draw a red line to show the total official monetary base. There it is. Very, very small monetary base, $4.9 billion back in January 1918, now after all the QE, after all the COVID stimulus, after everything that has happened that is not, quote, normal banking since 2008, $5.4 trillion. And physical cash represents 28.6% of that. There is still one more component that I need to talk about on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, which is also a unique thing that has happened in the last few years. And that is the fact that they have entered the repurchase agreement market in a big way. 
So remember from our repurchase agreement video, our repo video, this has been a money supply that has not been so transparently reported. It's probably one of the reasons, it definitely is one of the reasons, as I said, why the Federal Reserve stopped reporting M3, William Barnett, many economists agree with me on that. Nonetheless, they have done some better reporting since then, and they have themselves entered the repo market in a big way. Repos, again, think of them just like government securities trading like cash. Certainly utilizing securitization, collateralization, i.e. leverage, it is a collateralized loan. And so technically the loan on the security is what's really trading. But nonetheless, think of it as government securities trading like cash. And as a consequence, there's now two parties paying interest on that security. The treasury, of course, the taxpayer, i.e. you and me, we're always paying interest on government debt. But then whoever collateralizes the government security uh, sells it on with the promise later to buy it back at a higher price. Uh, they're also paying interest on that because that is a short-term loan, typically an overnight loan. But of course, these are always rolled over and more and more debt typically created from them. So make no mistake, that is a specific example of rehypothecation of government security. The Federal Reserve has entered the repo market in a big way in the last few years. So this money is a form of base money that is basically for the shadow banking sector. Okay, so all the banks in the United States, the credit unions, the thrifts, they have access to these reserves. They have an account with the central banks. But money market funds, some hedge funds, subsidiaries of banks, basically uh, shadow banking. And shadow banking is an IMF term, by the way. Shadow banking, non-bank types of institutions, they don't have access to these funds. And apparently the Federal Reserve thought that they should. So what I'm going to draw now is still part of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, but it's basically the remainder of the balance sheet. And it's some major expansion that they've done in the last few years. And that is right here. So this is the lightest green portion, as you see. And actually, let's even take everything off but repos. Here you see basically nothing uh, until after the global financial crisis, some activity. But then as we get to the COVID years here, uh, not at the start of COVID, but um, into 2021, let's just go here to, let's see, April 2021, $383 billion in the repo market, May 670, June a trillion two, August a trillion four, November 2021, a trillion seven, <clears throat> January 2022, a trillion eight, February trillion nine, all the way up to September 2022, $2.6 trillion worth of repos that the Fed has engaged with the market. Again, confusingly, the Federal Reserve calls this the reverse repurchase facility. That's from the perspective of the money market funds, from the perspective of the shadow banks. I understand the logic because, of course, they call bank reserves. It's from the perspective of the banks as well. All of these are liabilities on the Fed's balance sheet. So just like with deposits with banks, just like with NAV, with the money market fund, uh, just like with repurchase agreements with uh, a hedge fund or a bank subsidiary, a shadow bank, these are all liabilities that we're counting up to count what trades like money. But this is a form of 
base money without really being classified as such. This is the central bank collateralizing securities, paying interest on government securities in addition to the treasury, paying primarily non-bank institutions, primarily money market funds for the privilege of repoing. That is offering them the security with the promise to buy it back later at a higher price. That's what they're doing. Net net, it is central bank money they have created that money market funds and shadow banks can access. So let's add them all back up now. Bank reserves, cash inside banks, vault cash and M0. Let's put the monetary base line on the official monetary base we see here. And you see that 2021-2022 repo, the reverse repo facility and Every repo has a reverse repo. If it's a reverse repo, you're the asset holder. If it's a repo, you're the liability holder. So again, this is the liability side from the Federal Reserve. That's why I'm calling them just Fed repos. It's huge. And it's taken the Federal Reserve's balance sheet to over $8 trillion. You see, uh, see at the peak here, December 2021, roughly, we have $6.4 trillion in monetary base value add another 1.9 trillion dollars in repos that's about 8.3 trillion dollars so over 8 trillion dollars and this is roughly the total balance sheet of the federal reserve of course there's a little equity on the liability side but uh this is the money this is the money that the federal reserve has created throughout its history down a little bit now so we go to the december 2022 we have 5.4 trillion in the monetary base, 2.6 trillion in repos. So roughly eight, a little over eight trillion still in central bank money. So notice, um, as is the historical convention, I'm still calling the monetary base just the bank reserves and the uh, outside money that's physical cash as part of the monetary base, as part of the historical monetary base. I'm not quite sure if I want to put repos into Fed, Fed repos, that is repos that the Fed has uh, sold into the market. I'm not sure I want to, to put that in as part of the monetary base right now, but essentially it is base money for non-bank institutions or base money for shadow banks. So this is the stack of central bank money around the United States. This is the money that is most irreducible. Uh, no bank, no non-bank even, can go any deeper in the financial system to claim or make a transaction deeper than the level of the central bank. That's why this money is analogous to gold. And it's also analogous to Bitcoin, by the way, because no there's no deeper level of the Bitcoin system than an on-chain UTXO transaction. There's no deeper level in the gold or silver system than a physical transfer or delivery of bullion, of specie, as, uh, as they call it, of, uh, of physical monetary bullion. Uh, in our modern fiat system, this is outside money. This is how they have uh, developed the modern fiat system in the world. And notice, of course, it's not a perfect comparison because gold, silver, Bitcoin, they remain assets 
for the holder. And even central banks today, they hold gold. It's not nearly as large as their fiat monetary base, but they do hold gold. And I'll show you more of that in our next video. But there's no legal statutory jurisdiction on gold anymore. There's no requirement, except in a few cases, of course, exceptions to the rule, the euro, so on and so forth. There's no legal requirement for any bank to hold gold, even though they do. So it's basically you have to look to the other side of the balance sheet to find the deepest level of the financial system that we can go. Since it's irredeemable, that's the monetary base. That is outside money, base money, central bank money. This is the deepest level that a bank, or as we see with the repo here, even non-banks can go in the United States. And the Federal Reserve keeps expanding their presence into the market. What this means for the dollar, what this means for the purchasing power of the dollar, what this means from a monetary growth inflationary aspect of the dollar uh, has yet to be seen, of course, in the midterm and the long term. But in the last 15 years, we can see that we are on a completely different level, a completely different playing field than we have been before the global financial crisis. The Federal Reserve holds $8 trillion worth of assets, some of which is gold, mostly not, mostly it's government treasuries, $8 trillion worth of assets. With this money right here, they have created ex nihilo, $8 trillion worth of liabilities, money that they've created and is now in the system, is now the base level of the system. And before the financial crisis, that number was about $850, $860 dollars. So roughly, the monetary base has expanded by 10x or 10 times in the last 15 years. You can see it's very, very different from a physical cash makeup representation of the monetary base to adding repos in the mix to all the rest. You can see that central bank money in the United States has changed a lot in the last 15 years. So much more to say about this. Please tune into the next video. We'll give a little bit more historical context on the relationship between gold and the United States monetary base. Hope to see you then. Thanks for watching.